Good day, good day, good day, everyone. It's Peter Dunn, Pete the Platter, host of the Pete the Platter show. I don't know why I do that with my voice. I'm sorry, Damien. Why did I do that? Hey, you're a very talented uh, voice talent person. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I am. Welcome back to the program, Dame. Um, how was your week? Let's, let's, this is a part of the, the pre-show called, How Was Your Week? Uh, it's been good. I uh, worked all five days this week. It's it's feeling uh, just like uh, getting back into the swing of things. It's been been very nice. Fantastic. We've got a pretty tight show this week. We've got uh, email questions. We've got, oops, I just realized I've got my speaker blaring, my monitor, which would affect the quality. Uh, we've got uh, a question about mortgages. We've got a question about financial advisors, which is then going to, of course, get us into one of my favorite topics, uh, why would you hire a financial advisor then not do what they say? Which sure. is like truly one of my favorite topics. Also, uh, you can apply that same logic to realtors, physicians, insurance people, mechanics, and all of those sorts of professionals. Sure. Service. Experts. With a smile. I mean, I know we're early. I mean, I know people are still getting their way in here, but I gotta be honest. I got stuff to do. So let's just let's just crank the show. Are ready? they are what? they getting in here? I don't know. I, I look, I'll be honest. I love the live viewer. It's very nice. But I also have things to do. <laughs> Hi, Mike. All right. Three, two, one. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You email us, ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. That's AskPete at PeteThePlanner.com. And here's what may happen next. We may answer your uh, question here on the uh, the show, right? Or we may uh, write about your question in a newspaper publication. All the same, it's pretty exciting. Joining me as always is Damian Dunn, Vice President of Advice at Your Money Line and Hey Money. Hello, Dame. Hello, Pete. Did I say the first question we're gonna do this week is revol revolved around mortgages? Is that correct? Uh, I think you put that in the third segment. Oh, boy. All right. So first question is about hiring a financial advisor. Greetings, Pete and Damien. This person email us, emailed us at askpete at petetheplanner.com. Uh, greetings, Pete and Dame. How do I find and evaluate a fee-based planner? What questions would you ask? What are your views on a fee-based relationship with a planner? I've talked to a couple CFPs, certified financial planners like Dame, uh, about hourly work, they are not that interested. They really want an AUM fee relationship. And Dame, AUM means? Assets under management. That means they manage your money, your investments, and then get a fee based on the amount of money they're managing for you. Continue with email. I want to establish a long-term relationship. I don't believe my indexed portfolio needs babysitting. Am I nuts? I thought the industry was moving toward fee-based compensation plans. We are a middle-aged, frugal couple with a good nest egg. My background and career is in finance and in e economics. I'm comfortable evaluating financial and investment options. We've done it ourselves via Vanguard for 35 years with good results. There will be issues in our future where I would like outside input and opinion, such as Monte Carlo simulations, buying a second home, etc. I'm not excited about paying someone to watch a basket of index funds and pay based on AUM. Vanguard offers this for 0.3% of assets, and that's still $5,000 annually. 
Adam. Dame, it's funny how now having been in this business for over 20 years, how some things just never change. This has been a bugaboo of the financial industry for quite some time. It's, it's part of the reason why we actually started Hey Money, which is to answer some of these fundamental questions without having the need for us to manage someone's investments, because there's a lot of financial questions that have nothing to do with investing, yet investment advisors want to manage your money to answer all of those questions. What say you, my friend? I am not surprised in the slightest that uh, the financial advisors this person talked to, or pretty much probably 90 plus percent of the financial advisors somebody would talk to would much prefer an AUM fee-based relationship rather than an hourly or uh, subscription-based uh, model because it's just how it's done. And the numbers are considerably more attractive, especially when the person doesn't have to write a check or see that money coming out of a checking account on a regular basis to make that relationship work. Um, it's uh, the argument, Pete, uh, that, that I think you and I have both referred to. Uh, this makes sense because we do better when you do better for the advisor that's collecting an AUM fee. Meaning when your investments go up, then we get paid a little bit more. But when your investments go down, we don't get paid as much. So we're, we're going to be compensated fairly for the situation, the, the relationship that we have, where in my point of view, an advisor's time is worth something. Sure. For sure. They're a professional. They, they have uh, you know, a ton of experience, probably some, some education behind it. They know the ins and the outs of the industry and can hopefully get you to the finish line but their time is worth something. It's not a variable amount, it is a flat amount. Like most other professionals, an attorney is going to charge you an hourly rate. Financial planners, I believe, would do well by charging an hourly rate. Uh, AUM, I don't know if it's ever gonna go anywhere. I, I, I've heard different stories about it's going to be on the way out and this new subscription model or monthly fees going to take over. I don't think that's the case. I, I, AUM's here to stay, but uh, there are a number of advisors who do work off of a subscription model. Uh, can I plug a website, Pete, for him to, uh, for this person to go check out uh, so, some advisors potentially? I guess so. XY Planning Network, XYPN, is filled with advisors all over the country who work uh, remotely, first and foremost, so you could work with an advisor uh, in another state if you wanted to but they also offer subscription models. They don't have to manage your money for this. So if you wanna be able to consult with somebody on finance, true financial planning issues, not investment management issues, these advisors would be well set up to do it. So if you're interested in that sort of relationship, go check out XY Planning Network, Google it, it'll be right there, or Bing if you prefer, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, and they've got a very nice finder and advisor tool and uh, just poke around, see what's out there, but uh, a lot of good people there. You and I are both very pro-financial advisor. We think people should have them when they need them. I think it begs the question with this particular individual, Adam, as, as to what do they really need? The, the, the challenge of the financial industry is that financial planners, this catch-all uh, title. Um, I don't think these people need an investment advisor. So I think they can throw that out the window. They've done a reasonable job from what they've submitted to us. Um, I think typically if you... If you write what he wrote, you understand enough to probably manage your own money pretty darn well. That doesn't mean you don't need Monte Carlo simulations run and you don't need traditional financial planning guidance. 
But I, I'm rather convinced this person does not need investment advice. He just needs that planning advice that you talked about, uh, which he can find uh, at, uh, at the site that you suggested. I will note, he, makes a, he asks a question here that's certainly worth answering. I thought fee-based planning was the trend or, or something to the effect. It is, but the fees are based on your assets, right? Yeah. Um, th there has been a slight move, like you said, Dame, towards uh, hourly advice. But, but think of it this way. This is a very critical statement I'm about to make, and it will rub people the wrong way, but it, it's just true. It's transparent. Dame, for you, if you were an investment advisor, to manage someone's money that had $500,000 or to manage someone's money that made one, has $100,000, it takes the same amount of time. And so if you have a limited number of people you can serve, you are going to take the business, which is more profitable for you. I'm not here to suggest that is good and or bad. Uh, sincere and or insincere in people's uh, exclamations that they love to help people. But that's the math of it. It's not, having done this for a living, by the way, it's not that hard to manage a million dollars for someone compared to managing $100,000 for someone else. It's the exact same principle, the same computer programs, the same algorithms, same research same time and attention to the person other than you may want to spend more time with the million dollar client because you don't want to lose that million dollar client. That's the nature of the industry, good, bad, or otherwise. That's how it works. You know, as well as I do also that it's not uncommon for clients with a lower level of assets to take up more of your time. Not oh, because, God, yes. the, not because, <laughs> uh, they're, uh, anything uh, special, but maybe their circumstances just require more handholding and, and you want to do a good job and be a professional and you do that. But when you're looking at uh, somebody with $100,000 versus a million dollars, you're going to be much more willing to spend that time with the person with a million dollars because that's where you're getting paid versus somebody with $100,000 under this format. I think that's the same with every business in the world. I mean, I look at even our corporate clients and sometimes it's our smallest clients that require the the most work from our team compared to some of our bigger clients with bigger revenue don't require as much sort of service work other than doing our job of, of helping people with their financial lives dame let's do this coming up after the break let's ex uh, you know keep going on this idea of all right fine you've hired an advisor the advisor tells you to do something why telling that person they're wrong makes no sense why hire a professional and then do the opposite when you yourself are not a professional? That's what we're talking about next. Dame will be here. I will be here. I'm trying to hit the post at the end of the segment. I'm Pete the Planner, and this is the show. Man, that really drew itself out. Good job to me. I don't think anybody noticed. Except when I said it. This is the problem of the financial services industry. And again, reason we created Hey Money is not necessarily for people like Adam because we're not gonna run Monte Carlo simulations, right? Could we advise people on the second home? Yeah, absolutely. We could absolutely do that. Um, but there has not been that serious piece of disruption in the industry because no one's in a hurry to do it. I mean, you know, it, it'll happen. It'll happen. I know XY has tried to do it, and I, I like their model, 
but they have not by any means disrupted the industry. Oh no, they haven't. Um, they haven't pushed the needle significantly in, in that direction. But I do think they provide uh, a really nice home for similarly minded advisors. And now, to be fair, there are a number of advisors that still charge AUM on that platform as well. But uh, they are making it easier for people to find uh, a relationship that fits their needs that is reasonably uh, cost-effective. Dane, before the show started today, you and I like to play a little Name That Tune, where I'm listening to the music that I like, like to listen to, generally some hip-hop and R&B, and I try to see if you can come remotely close to naming an artist. Today, you got really close. I was playing an Erica Badu song, and you said, is that Lauren Hill? Which is a pretty close guess. The other guesses that we would have accepted would have been Jill Scott, right? Uh, as a very close uh, sound to Erica Badu. But Dame, you're getting better. I feel like you're, I'm really you know, pouring some culture into you. I'm cramming uh, in between shows. I know it means a lot to you. Uh, hi, everyone who's joined us. Danza, uh, Daniel, hello, uh, and Tracy. Yes, we're early. Sorry. That's right. All right, Dame, you ready to talk about why you should follow the advice of someone who gives you advice? Yes. All right. This is going to go in a weird direction, just so you know. I would expect nothing less. In three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner show. Dame, you know, we were talking about how to hire a financial advisor uh, and, you know, how to pay them and whatnot in the first segment. But then it got me thinking, something I've been talking about all week long with you uh, not on the show. It's this idea of why would you hire a professional who knows a lot about an area that you don't know a lot about, and then when they tell you to do what you hired them to tell you to do, you choose not to do it. And that is a really weird, frustrating thing. Sometimes I get it, like you go to your mechanic and they're like, hey, I'll be honest with you, you trust me, I trust you, but listen, Pedro, uh, this needs $8,000 worth of work. And then I say, well, I don't really want to put that much into the car. Just fix $4,000 worth of stuff. That's an example where I'm just using discretion to say, I acknowledge that you're right. I'm just, it's not important for me to have the, the, the car work that well. However, with our financial lives, if you go to a financial advisor and they say, Gary, assuming your name's Gary, you need to save $379.22 more each month. The idea that people don't figure out how to do that and do that is while understandable because I know how our culture works, it doesn't make any sense, Dame. And yet we see it all the time. Yes. So my theory that I bounced off of you, uh, in, in some situations, we're simply looking for confirmation of, of what we think is the, the sol solution or situation or whatever that may be. In a situation with a financial planner, uh, we'll, we'll come back to this, Gary gets told he needs to save 300 and some odd dollars a month. Gary looks across the table and says, sure, I can do that, and walks out the door and says, there's no way I'm doing that. Why? That, the question becomes, why does Gary say that? Is it because he, he believes he knows better? Is it, does he have some information that he, he didn't share with a financial planner? Uh, does he know that he's just not capable of doing that? There are a number of reasons why somebody would, would just discard out of hand the advice of a professional. Unfortunately, the professional doesn't always have that information to maybe tailor the, inf the, uh, the answer, the, the result, 
back to the individual who's paying for that information. And it does nobody any good when uh, maybe all the information's not been laid out on the table. You know, sometimes when this happens, the buyer, the client, likes to make it about trust, right? They'll say, well, you know, it's a, we're really still building trust. And while I get that, you have to do your due diligence and take your time and take it seriously to hire the right person so that you have the privilege of just doing what they say. Dame, our organization hired a consultant, you know, and, and in the past, recently, you know, those sorts of things uh, to help with certain things. If they tell us to do it, why would I argue with the person I'm paying to tell me what to do? Like, I, I struggle with that. Even, even talking to that person, they're like, yeah, you, you tend to do what we tell you to do. It's like, yeah, yeah, because I'm paying you to tell me what to do. So if I don't do what you say, then I'm literally wasting my money. Now, I will say the one area where people struggle with this the most is life insurance, right? An insurance professional uh, is brought in, in some capacity, to do a needs analysis, generally life insurance. The person does the needs analysis, they add their own uh, opinion and subjective recommendations into that, and then it just, it, for some reason, Dame, many times that life insurance dynamic, people are just like, nah, I'm good, they're just trying to sell me life insurance. And then someone will just go completely uninsured or underinsured because they simply didn't want to be in a dynamic where they felt like the person was getting over on them. What's interesting in that situation is, typically you're not gonna pay for that needs analysis because they are trying to show you what you need in hopes that you are going to buy a policy and they will be com uh, compensated on the backside through a commission. However, we often say, well, maybe you need to have a little skin in the game to, to uh, you know, buy in and, and, and act on this advice. We know that's not the case too, because people will pay for advice and walk away from it. So is this a, a control issue? You know, somebody, you know, the, 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 <laughs> the old uh, American philosophy of nobody's gonna tell me what to do, is that part of it? Or is it um, a, a relationship issue? You're just not comfortable with the person that's, that's giving you the advice or how they're being compensated in, in, in the situation? It's really tough to understand why some people recognize that they need help and then just shrug their shoulders and say, well, that was all right. I'm going to go do something else now. It is fascinating. What about going to your doctor and your doctor says, hey, you're as healthy as a horse, but a giant horse, you need to lose some weight. Um, and then, then you're in this situation. It's like, okay, doctor, thank you for your medical opinion. And then you, you, know, you, you roll off the scale and, and, and then you don't do anything. Now, while I acknowledge that there's a lot more to that recommendations than some of the other more mechanical things we're talking about because it's behavior based. I mean, you and I can set up uh, an automatic deposit into an investment account in about 10 minutes and then make sure there's enough money in that account. But for you and I to change our fitness and or nutrition on a regular basis, that's a lot more behavior based, right? Totally. And I think that comes down to uh, a big chunk of it. Maybe people have had a, a really bad experience with failure in the past, or they've they've uh, guilted themselves or shamed themselves into not wanting to make a change because they think they're going to fail with it anyway. And if they don't start and fail, then they're going to feel better about themselves anyway. 
it, it's an interesting dynamic that we have with ourselves as we look at making sometimes minor changes in our lives, whether they're health or financial or uh, relational, whatever the case may be, or major changes. Sometimes we jump into something because we know the risk is absolutely worth it. If we uh, sometimes uh, shy away from it because there's just not enough of a, a consideration on our part to say, you know what, I'm going to put myself out there and I know this is in my best interest for whatever the situation may be. And if I fail, then okay, but maybe I'll pick myself back up and, and we'll try again. So I don't know. It, people are weird, Pete. I don't know if you've picked up on that. Yeah, a couple things. Number one, we've been laying the blame at the feet of the client. It's also worth noting that advisors, especially in this financial capacity we're talking about, sometimes give recommendations and then don't help people make it possible. It's the old, you need to save more for retirement and then the people said we can't afford to and then they say you can't afford not to and then it's over. It, I mean, a big part of what, why we built, again, your money line and hey money is to fix the now so you can address the later. Right. That, that's the whole point. It, you know, there's other ways to say it. the old you can lead a horse to water, but you can't get it to drink. Our job is to get it to drink and not just grain based alcohol, but, but, but the water that will nourish it. Amanda on Facebook Live asks a really interesting question. And by the way, um, Aga had some interesting comments, too. But Amanda asked, how important do you believe disability insurance is when it comes to planning? I find it hard to pull the trigger on versus life insurance. This is exactly what we're talking about, right? Because oftentimes the insurance professional is recommending both. And every statistic I've ever read is you're more likely to use a disability policy than you would ever use a, a term life insurance policy. So I think it's wildly important. My dad's best friend uh, was became disabled while um, in the throes of his career. And that very robust disability strategy he had is the only thing that allowed his family to financially survive. Dame, you're a disability fan? Yeah, totally. I, I, I've seen the same numbers that you have. It is much more likely for most people that they would use a, that, uh, that disability policy versus that term life policy, and it can absolutely hold a family together. Uh, Aga did mention, I want to bring it up. She said, uh, people are ashamed of their financial troubles and promises you things just to feel a little better right then and there. And she's had a few clients start crying and apologizing, you know, sort of after the fact. So obviously if a financial professional, and I agree with that, people want to make you as the professional think that they got their stuff together. It's like, oh, of course we'll do that. And then they mm. leave in on out the door. So Dame, coming up after the break, we're going to talk about recasting a mortgage, something some people, most people don't know you can do. All that's next on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm Pete the Planner. I almost hit stop broadcast. I just want you to know just now. <laughs> just now, I almost hit stop broadcast. That would have been a very I, special Friday. That would not have been great. Hello, people coming in. Pinkins, sir, senor, Mr. Pinkins. I will be in your building, Mr. Pinkins. I don't know if you're down in that building. Uh, the 19th. No one cares. All right. Uh, Levi, howdy. Nick, hello. Uh, Jameson's late. Way to go, James. <laughs> All right, Dame, are you ready to blow people's minds? Sure. Yeah. Can you say it with confidence so I feel like I'm confident in my uh, belief that you can blow people's minds? Prepare to have your minds blown. In three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner show, Dame, we got a mortgage question, a unique one this week, and I want to read it and 
to you right now and share it with others. Pete and Damien, I listen to the podcast regularly and love the show. Thanks, Mom. Speaking of, happy Mother's Day weekend to all the mothers out there. Whether you're listening on WIBC in Indianapolis, uh, WVKI in Knox, Indiana, or WTRE in Greensburg, happy Mother's Day. Our other affiliates, I hope you have a modestly good uh, uh, Mother's Day, too. Dame, you like how I mixed in the affiliates? Yeah, that was very smooth. Oh, boy. Uh, I have a question about recasting my mortgage, my original 30-year fixed-rate loan amount. Okay, are you, are everyone writing this down. My original 30-year fixed loan amount was $290,000 starting in January of 2012. In 2016... I began making $1,000 curtailment payments against principal each month. Time out. Damn, you don't hear the term curtailment a lot, do you? You do not. It, 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 actually, I know what it means. I've heard it used, but when I, it shocked me when I read the word curtailment. I stopped these monthly payments November of 2019 and opted to make annual lump sum payments instead of monthly $12,000 a year in March. Of 2021, I paid a lump sum of $17,000 against my principal. See, my goal is to pay off my mortgage by 2030 when my oldest of three children starts college. Uh, as I've said on this show several times, I have a very similar strategy to have my mortgage paid off before my oldest child goes to college. Uh, I recently learned about recasting a mortgage to reduce your monthly payment. And after calling my bank, I have the option to recast my mortgage and lower the payment. Does it make sense to recast my mortgage to lower my payment? If I perform the recast, any difference between my old and new payment would be used to pay down the mortgage principal. In addition to the $1,000 a month, I'm currently setting aside to pay in an annual lump sum. My thought is that it would make sense to recast the mortgage, but not sure if I'm missing anything in regards to the treatment of interest would the recast accelerate my plan to pay off the mortgage by 2030? Or should I just stick to what I've been doing? Thanks, Mike. Wow, Dame, the recast, curtailment, fun and frivolity in the financial world. What say you, Dame? Uh, here's the too long didn't listen. Uh, just keep doing what you're doing, uh, Mike. Uh, but here's why. Here's why. Raise your hand if you know what a recast is. Mildly. Mildly. I mean, okay. I fish, so okay. it's like when you, you get hung up on the bank and then you reel back in. and then fly, you Yeah, fly fishing is all about recasting, right? Sure. Kinda, it's kinda, okay. uh, recasting your mortgage works primarily after somebody puts a large payment towards principal on their mortgage. Let's say uh, you started a 30-year mortgage and three years in, Uncle Harry dies and leaves you a whole bunch of money and you say, you know what, I'm going to put $100,000 of it towards my mortgage and then I'm just going to keep on doing what I'm doing. Well, recasting is is that you go back to that lender after you put that $100,000 towards principal and say, you know what, I really don't think I'm going to do any additional payments, but I made a huge chunk towards principal. Why don't we see what the rest of this loan amortizes out, keeping all the same terms, same 30-year time period, same interest rate, and they re-amortize the loan. So your payment goes down but you still finish the mortgage at the expected finish date of you know 30 years or 27 years, whatever's remaining on the mortgage. You lower your payment, but you still finish at the same time. Does that, does that make sense, Pete? It does, but you're telling him not to do that? Here's why. Oh, I'm so excited. 
I'm also waiting for the email to tell us why we're wrong, but go ahead. That's fine. When uh, he has done this, uh, Mike has, has put all this money towards it. He could very well uh, recast his mortgage if he wanted to. However, the payment goes down, which normally sounds like a great idea. That also means that there's less principal going towards the payment at this point because the payment has gone down. You've, the ratio is the same at this point. It is just a smaller, inter, a smaller mortgage payment. So when he says that he's going to keep the same payment, he's going to put that difference between the, the payment that he's got now and the, the recast payment and put it towards principal, he's right back where he started. So it's the exact same thing. It's the exact same thing. So he's, if, he wants to, if he wants to save time off of the mortgage, he'll go back to the $1,000 a month instead, instead of doing a $12,000 annual payment. He'll cut some time off. So it truly is six one, half dozen the other. Exactly. Yeah, at this point, it, the math says that it won't make a, a lick of difference. All he'd do is end up paying a, a small fee to recast your mortgage. But because he's, acceler he's already paying this mortgage down considerably faster than, than he would have to, it makes no difference. In the example you mentioned, an Uncle Harry, is it his name is Harry or he's like it's Uncle Dave, but he just happens to be very hairy? I got stuck on that and I didn't hear the rest of your Sorry, it, it could uh, it, let your imagination run wild, Pete. You know, I, I think creative refinancing for strategic reasons is going to become increasingly popular. Uh, and, and prior to the show, you and I were talking about in 2005, there was this cash out refinance boon where people would uh, cash out the equity in their home and do something else with it, whether they're uh, doing some sort of refurbishment or, or repairs or, or improvements on the home or investing the money that they pull out because they're like, well, hey, we're borrowing it for cheap. Let's do some arbitrage and, and take the money and invest it, which is not generally the safest thing in the world to do. Dame, do you think with all these skyrocketing uh, you know, home values that instead of trying to take advantage of that by selling your home, you're going to find more and more people say, okay, fine. Well, we're just going to take this newfound equity out of the home and do something special with it. You think that's going to happen? Yeah, I'm 100% sure that's going to happen. Uh, there are going to be people that see this as uh, the piggy bank magically getting bigger overnight. And they look around and say, uh, there's stuff I need to get accomplished, whether that's, like you said, uh, a remodel or paying off some other kind of debt and it seems like it's uh, easy to access and it's cheap and they're just going to go sign the papers and push out their their mortgage for another who knows 5 10 15 years and start all over again yeah i think the, I, I don't listen to a lot of uh consume a lot of media where i get ads i don't know how to say that i don't watch a lot of tv i don't mm -hmm. listen to the terrestrial radio which is to say, I don't feel like I've personally been exposed to cash out refi bank advertising. H have you? Have you seen an uptick in that sort of thing? Because I'll tell you, um, there's it's cyclical. You'll have the refi, just normal refi, and then you'll also have the home equity loans for home improvements. But I don't feel like I hear outwardly advertisements for cash out refis. It's interesting. I. I'm similar to you. I don't consume a lot of media that, that pushes ads uh, in my face. So I haven't noticed it as much either, but you got to think. I Just w with the, some of the, the questions that we get uh, through our channels, oh, people asking about uh, refis and, and maybe taking a little bit of money out. They have slowed down recently. Um, 
but we did get a fair number of, of cash out refi questions uh, over the last 12 months. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I've always felt that it goes to a question. Our colleague Erica and, and I were talking the other day of like, do you include your home equity, both, both your home, total home value and the mortgage you own your home on your net worth statement? She was asking me, I said, well, I, I do, but I also keep in mind what it means, right? I, I keep in mind that that's not necessarily going to grow at the same rate of return that the rest of my assets are. But I do include it in my net worth. When you look at your own net worth, I assume you also include it. It's it's a traditional thing to include. Yeah, I've I've always included it just to uh, to to have a, a placeholder for it. I mean, at some point, you would assume maybe you you sell it and downsize in, in retirement, and you'll you'll have a little bit of that equity. Yeah, I'll tell you, our home value has gone up a lot. The crazy thing is, we had a house go up probably a week ago, less than a week ago, down the street, for a lot. I mean, I could hit it with, uh, well, you could hit it with a three wood. Uh, it's not that far away. Um, and I just, I'm, I'm, I'm anxious for it to sell at that price so that theoretically my home increases in value too, despite the fact that I'm not going to do anything, including a cash out refi with that dame. It's come to that part of the show, biggest wasted money of the week. And I have to tell you, it will come at the, after the break. It will also come not to be a waste of money, but the best use of money of the week this week on Pete the Planner. Ooh. Hits the post a different way. And hits it a different way. Mm-hmm. Just like... Is that Michael Winslow in your studio? <laughs> Have you heard Michael Winslow perform uh, like different Led Zeppelin tracks, both doing the vocals and the instruments with his mouth? I think so. It was a, a, a clip on a talk show, wasn't it? A couple of years ago. Yes, you're I right. Think so uh, I heard it again. I was listening to old Howard Stern uh, interviews or, or whatever so shows, and they played it, and he was talking about it. It's phenomenal. How does someone do that? I don't know. I. It's an amazing talent that I think would annoy a lot of people after a while. You can't just keep doing it around your family. They're they're just going to get upset eventually, right? Yeah. Um, by the way, I just got an email from Zencaster announcing the winners of some contest that they have, but it doesn't matter because our show works well because we don't use Zencaster. That seems rude. Never mind. Let's cut that. I cut that. I don't edit anything. Okay. And three, two, one. This week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner show is... The Indianapolis Motor Speedway Urinal Trough T-shirt. Oh, that's right, Dame. The Indianapolis Motor Speedway has announcing a brand new piece of history, and that is the Orange Urinal Trough T-shirt. I don't know if you know this, but at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in Speedway, Indiana, where I was born, I wasn't born at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I actually wasn't born in Speedway. I was born at Methodist Hospital in Indianapolis, but I grew up in Speedway. There are men's restrooms at this facility, and the men's restrooms don't have your traditional individual urinals. They've got a giant trough like that pigs would eat pig food out of, and everyone just does what they need to do in this long tubular urine catcher, and they are iconic. 
My grandfather took my father to the track years ago and had to explain to my then youthful father what in the heck that thing was. Decades later, Mike D., my father, took me and had to explain the same concept to my dismay and horror. Just a few years ago, I took my son, Theodore, and he was terrified because he's a junior germaphobe. But Dame, there's nothing more iconic than standing shoulder to shoulder from race fans around the world, letting it flow all together in the troughs at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. This t-shirt can be had at shop.ims.gov for $32. It comes in burnt orange, naturally. Someone's not hydrated. Uh, it sizes are small, medium, large, extra large, 2X large, 3X large, and of course, the iconic 4XL. Dame, I, I might actually buy one of these. I I'll be sad if you don't. What Do you, do you think uh, this was presented to Roger in a meeting? And, and he said, yes, let's do that. That's a great question. Uh, Doug Bowles is the one who posted it. And my wife, uh, since I am off social media these days, my wife let me know, because she knows how strongly I feel about urinating in a trough next to other men, that this was available and that Doug Bowles, the president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, uh, was the one promoting it. But you do wonder if Mr. Penske is involved in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, wow. Have you ever uh, partaken in the utility of said trough? I, yes, but you realize that IMS is not the only location with troughs. Don't don't yuck my yum. I mean, don't yuck my yum. Wrigley probably has troughs older than the ones at IMS. I'm not here to talk about gum, Dame. Okay. Dame, what's in the news this week? While not many companies are apparently comfortable ordering employees back, a number of them are taking modest steps to ease the return to work. Examples include small tokens such as office slippers or gift cards for stores like Target or Amazon. Others are plying their office staff with free food and drink. Few, if any, though, are going quite as far as the real estate data provider CoStar, the Washington, D.C.-based firm, said any of its roughly 4,000 U.S. employees at its more than 50 U.S. offices are eligible to win randomly drawn prizes. All an employee has to do is show up for work and have proof of vaccination. In the weeks ahead, any co-star office worker could conceivably be off for a week of golf and swimming in the Caribbean's uh, in the Caribbean island of Barbados, uh, or charging up a shiny new Tesla Model S. Or uh, last month, for example, everyone was qualified to win ten thousand dollars. Each day, they gave away ten thousand dollars to employees. And you just had to be vaccinated and come to work. That's it. Have your card and show up. Now, Dame, I uh, people are starting to come back to our offices. June 2nd, I believe, is the first day where everyone will be back. Yes. Uh, and to incentivize our coworkers, I have had a hook installed right next to people's desks so they can hang their pants on the hook so they can feel like they felt working from home for the last year. What do you think about that? I've not run that by our human resources person yet. But that is my strategy, a pants hook for coworkers to feel comfortable. I think that's innovative, Pete. I can't see how that could possibly go wrong. Thank you. You know, um, I had told my attorney about it and our phone got disconnected. So yeah. I don't I have not heard what he thinks about it after that. What else is in the news? 
millions of jobs requiring four-year college degrees can be done without that level of education. <laughs> no, really. Some, some corporate leaders are now saying what? to address it. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a legit story. This was in the Wall Street Journal. Oh, well, you know it's, it's, it's accurate then. To address inequalities in business and society, some executives suggest that companies shake up their approach to hiring and consider unconventional candidates. Uh, black Americans in particular are often left unprepared by the U.S. education system, and companies could help by hiring workers without a degree and giving them training, Ken Frazier, CEO of Merck, said Tuesday at a Wall Street Journal uh, CEO Council Summit. He and IBM Chief Executive Virginia Romady called on companies to reevaluate their hiring criteria. Otherwise, quote, you'll never fix this economic opportunity issue, Mrs. Romady said. Both executives said they supported traditional college education for some people, but said many entry-level positions don't need it. Jobs for cloud programmers, cybersecurity analysts, financial operations, and many healthcare jobs can all begin without a four-year degree, and many applicants may choose to get more education later on. Pete, All right, so good I, idea. Yeah, well, uh, let me do this. I'm going to put you on the spot, but I'm going to answer the question first so you can think through it. The top three things you actually learned from college is the question I'm going to ask you, but I'm going to answer it myself first. Okay, but you can listen to my answers here. Number one, uh, I learned how to critically think, right? I, I learned how to be in a really tough, high stress environment at the time, relatively speaking, and come to a solution, right? So that's number one. Number two, I went to a liberal arts school, which made me think in a very diverse way. It made me um, consider the humanities and, and, and different concepts, even when dealing with business or science or something like that. You always had that liberal arts spin to it, which I didn't necessarily appreciate at the time, but in retrospect, I really appreciate. And number three, and oddly, number one on my list, I learned to deal with people I didn't like, especially because I lived in a fraternity house. No, yeah. we're all brothers. Shh, you're not my brother. You're <laughs> disgusting. That's what my college experience was, good, bad, or otherwise. And everything else that I do for a living, I did not learn at college. None of the things I just said uh, have anything to do with my job because, you know, everything else I learned here. What are the three things you learned at college? Uh, similarly to your last one, I learned that walking away from a conversation is a perfectly valid response to certain conversations. Sure. Uh, that uh, saves potential arrest and confinement. <laughs> uh, critical thinking, I, I think, is um, up there as well. But also, not everybody does the same large concept for the same reasons. Going to college, people will go to college for different reasons, uh, personal or uh, otherwise. And uh, it's okay. Everybody's got their own story. So uh, give, a, give a wide amount of of grace to people you know i think from an employer's perspective this is where uh, this conversation gets interesting if you're going to require a college degree but your wages are so low that it doesn't even allow the person to repay the cost of the degree that is an unreasonable thing to do yet yeah, turns out uh, very common yeah I, I think this is really interesting i mean companies actually start adopting this this outlook and this this hiring uh, mechanism for folks I think you could potentially get shorter degrees at universities that focus on specifically what people need to know to do certain jobs and not have uh, four years of education that are crammed with two years of general ed studies 
I think through our uh, organization, all the different roles, many diverse from each other, some definitely require a college degree, but some don't. Like they, they, they really don't. And uh, you know, I think back to, I'm not always involved with hiring because we have other departments that other people deal with, but um, I got to say, I, I'm not so sure how often that college degree is like a prerequisite for, I actually, you know, when I think about it, it's like the job qualifications or job description, it's often on there. Maybe we'll look at that. Maybe we should look at that as we continue to grow. Dave, that's all we have time for this week. Thank you for you and your contributions, sir. You're welcome. Sending you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner, and this is the show. All right. I don't want to. I don't want to say who and I would have a good. Here's the roles in our company that although the people have a college degree, they don't really need it. They always going to do that. That seems like, probably mine. Like <laughs> me. Yeah. Uh, my my daughter was trying to explain to a friend who was hanging outside with her like what I do. Uh-huh. And that description of what I do was like, it was incredibly accurate and also made me feel terrible. She was like, he's not much. <laughs> she was like, what's your dad do? He's like, he's like, well, he's Pete the planner. And the person's like, what? And, and, and I was like, oh yeah. She's like, uh, well, he, you know, he, t- he talks about money. Um, I, sometimes he helps people. And, and, and I'm like listening to this and I'm like, it, it was uh, uncomfortably validating. It's like, yeah, yep, that's pretty much it. Kids, right? Uh, David just pointed out, thanks, Brian, for your nice feedback. Um, David pointed out that I need to end the show this week again with stay getting money. I, uh, so everyone knows, I got that text in the middle of the weekend as well, just as a reminder, personally, which I appreciated. Can I have a hip-hop hot take real quick? as long as you don't expect me to contribute anything constructive to okay it. i do need you to have be familiar with one concept here you remember one of my favorite songs is return of the mac by mark right. morrison yes. okay great song in fact when i came back to the offices uh, weeks ago i had it playing on my phone as i walked into the door because it made me feel like i'm cooler than i am so there's this rapper named g easy do what you need to do with that who is ta- sampled return of the mac for a new track that he has. And yet he has Mark Morrison sing on the track to try to legitimize the fact that he's taken one of the greatest samples of all time and just taken it for his less than ideal version of the song. And I, this has been grinding my gears for the better part of two weeks. I just need to get that off my chest. No one cares, but it really bothers me. I know, I know how you feel about that song. So I, I can imagine uh, how I would feel if somebody did something similar with one of my songs. It's like if someone remade Different Strokes, the television show today, it's like, just leave it be. It's a, leave it be. What you talking about, Remaker? You know what I mean? Yeah. What a great example. Dame, that's all it is for this week. So I only have one thing to say to you and everyone else. Stay getting money.